<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs. Ukraine and Russia are apparently ready to resume their negotiations for a ceasefire in the war that has been underway for 33 days now. President Volodymyr Zelensky trying to create some impetus for the truce talks, saying he's now ready to discuss neutrality, as he put it, for Ukraine. And as Russian troop movements indicate Vladimir Putin is organizing his forces for what possibly could be a partitioning of Ukraine into two separate states, west and east. The easternmost of the states would likely include the now Russia-recognized Republic of Donetsk and Republic of Luhansk. That's partly my speculation and presumes that Putin is ready to hold substantive talks. But it's also based on a Zelensky statement that he would compromise on the, quote, status of the Donbass region. Depending on the details, such a compromise and result would meet Putin's demand for a further buffer with NATO nations on Russia's western border and assure the security as well of the Donbass region, including the two republics of Donetsk and Luhansk. I'm also skeptical of whether Zelensky's political supporters will allow him to agree to a partitioning of Ukraine and whether Putin will agree to anything less. And the war goes on, and so does the bombardment of western Ukraine, including Kiev, a brutal, deadly Russian offensive now underway. And we've learned in the past 24 hours that the peace talks between Russia and Ukraine got off to an unexpected and potentially lethal start. The Wall Street Journal reporting two Ukrainian representatives to those talks, and Russian oligarch Roman Abramovich suffered symptoms that resulted from what was possibly a poison attack. Some of their symptoms, including irritated eyes, pain, and peeling flesh on their faces and hands, indicated poison. The condition of the three victims has improved and we're told they're no longer in danger. President Biden is still trying to explain to the world, and in particular to President Putin, that in no way did he intend to say he wanted Putin removed from his office, although he did say that Putin, quote, cannot remain in power, end quote. That apparently is now inoperative in the Biden White House. And Biden's budget plan for the next fiscal year calls for almost $6 trillion more in spending. The Biden budget is busted already, in my view. There's little chance the public won't be outraged by more out-of-control Democrat spending. Last month, the federal budget deficit was over $200 billion, and the national debt well over $30 trillion now. Our national debt is 125% of our total gross domestic product. That's not good. Not good economics, not good politics, and not good for the country. As for the loyal opposition, the Republicans' House members held their annual retreat to strategize ahead of the fall midterms, which they expect to put them back in power. To that end, the GOPers emphasized unity. Joining us now, one of the Republican Party's most respected House members, co-founder of the Freedom Caucus and seven-term Congressman Jim Jordan, representing Ohio's 4th District. Congressman Jim Jordan, it's always great to have you here on the Great America Show. Let's start with the, the meeting, the retreat, uh, the summit, if you will, of your conference uh, over the past uh, weekend. Uh, your, your basic judgment about how positive uh, it was. Oh, no, very positive. I, well, the Republicans are positive. The, the, we're, we're, we're obviously concerned about the country. I mean, jeepers, this administration, you know, we've talked before, Lou, the, they haven't done a darn thing right. I mean, you, you, you look at the, the, the border. We went from secure border to chaos. You look at uh, we went from stable uh, prices to 40-year high inflation. We went from safe streets to record crime and 
And of course, we went from energy independence to the situation we find ourselves in today. And we haven't even got into foreign policy. We haven't even got into what they've done to our basic liberties. So yeah, that's a mess. But the, the conference with Republicans in the House, very optimistic. Uh, you know, I always say that we should. You never want to be overconfident in any type of competition. But but I think we're confident that if we go out and campaign hard, uh, talk about what we'll do for America, uh, run on a on a on a populist message rooted in conservative principle like President Trump did, that uh, we got a great chance, a great chance of taking this thing back and, and being in control uh, next year. So yeah, it was it was very positive. I'm hearing a lot of people talk, uh, and by that I mean elected officials uh, like yourself, who are talking about uh, the Republicans are going to wipe out the Democrats come November. Uh, then I hear a certain, then an edge of caution from them, like, well, you don't want to take anything for mm -hmm. granted. But the truth is, it looks like this could be a wave election, so-called, uh, and that you could make immense, uh, perhaps even historic gains in both the House yeah. uh, and lesser so, but uh, significant gains in the Senate. Well, I, I hope that's the case. I think there's a real chance of that. There's, uh, you know, there was a piece a few weeks back in, in, the, in the journal that, that talked about a potential realignment. I would actually argue just a continuation of what President Trump started running as an America first populist uh, agenda, as I said before, populist agenda rooted in conservative principles. So I think there's that chance because you think about it, Lou, in my mind, the Democrat Party has now become the party of the super mega wealthy who live on the coast and people who don't work. And Republicans are the party of everybody else. We're the party of families, working people, flyover country. And, and you know, the Democrats have taken this attitude that, oh, they're so much smarter and better. Now, how, how about when, uh, uh, you know, when Anderson Cooper said, you know, Trump voters stay at the Marriott and eat at Olive Garden? And I'm like, that's the disdain and the arrogance they have for us, us regular middle class folks. And um, I, was, I was telling one, one, <laughs> one group the other day, I said, you know, uh, eating at Olive Garden and stay at the Marriott, that's out where I'm from in western Ohio. That's a pretty good weekend. So I do uh, think it sounds that, pretty, that mindset is out there. It sounds pretty fancy to me, too, to tell you the truth. Exactly. Uh, is exactly. Anderson Cooper, was he a Rockefeller, a Vanderbilt? I can't remember which part of that deal. I think it was. was I think I think. Yeah, I think it was the latter, and I guess he stays at just the the the, the, the super five star fancy play, the Ritz all the time, and we, you know us regular folks stay at the Holiday Inn and the Marriott. You bet. I, as a matter of fact, my wife and I are thrilled just to stay on the farm. Uh, I, I want to go to <laughs> I, I want to go to that very important issue, and that is your leadership. Uh, you just brought up Donald Trump, uh, in my opinion, the greatest president in modern history. Uh, he wasn't well at your retreat. Why not? No, I, I, you know, I don't know that what, why the the, uh, the leadership decided not to do that. But um, I mean, I know President Trump had a great another one of his great rallies over the weekend uh, down in the great state of Georgia, important state uh, in, in the upcoming election. Um, but you're right. I think I think certainly the, the the most effective president in our lifetimes, maybe ever. And you know, you and I have talked a lot about this before. Mm -hmm. But doing what he said he would do. And doing it when everyone was – I mean all the Democrats were against him, all the mainstream press, a bunch of Republicans, everyone in the bureaucracy, which is maybe the most important concern. And in spite of all that, got so much done. Um, that's the kind of leadership we need, and uh, I hope we're going to have it again. I think he's going to run. Uh, I hope he does, and I hope he wins. As, as do I, and, and him not being there – uh, it makes me wonder about the commitment to leadership, and, and that is, here's a man who is all you said, and in fact more. Uh, he had uh, the Russians against him, the Chinese against him. He, he yeah. had uh, all of the power centers in this uh, in this country against him. Uh, I would yeah. think uh, that they would, you folks would want to hear from him. But uh, be that as it may, uh, I hope there's not a single Republican running for office who uh, isn't. An America first candidate, uh, because that seems yeah, to me to be the essential truth of the matter. There won't be a Republican wave unless they are American first candidates winning. I, I, I agree. Um, you know, President Trump, I think, has, has fundamentally changed the party, fundamentally changed the country in, in, in such a positive way. In the contrast, you know, I, I was talking with a with a person who worked in the in the Trump administration. Uh, last week, and, and, and he said, think about this. President Trump, when you speak, and in, in, in relatively speaking, he turned over to President Biden 
a, a stable and, and relatively calm world with the, you know, the Abraham Accords, where we stood in the world, and we were respected. He turned it over to, to, to Joe Biden, and Joe Biden has screwed up everything. I mean the, literally everything. You, you look at what happened last uh, summer. Uh, the, the, the picture I think that will be in people's minds uh, as they think about the Biden administration is that picture in Afghanistan where you had people trying to jump on the wheels of that plane as it took off and left left Afghanistan. That's that's the metaphor for just how bad the Biden administration has been. And again, what a contrast uh, between the way President Trump led and his team led versus uh, this the, the, the folks running the country now. You know, Congressman, I, I have to say I, I'm I'm more than a little worried uh, about whether or not mm -hmm. the, the Republican Party will be the party of Trump on America First Party or the rhinos, who, by the way, to me, really are uh, a, a frankly, they are a, 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 an alien uh, organism uh, in the party. And I really mean that they're just destroying the party and destroying representation for the American people because they are basically left-wingers. They're Democrats. Uh, you know, Romney is the uh, ultimate example of a rhino, and he is a Democrat and a confused one at that. Uh, but most <laughs> Democrats are confused, so that's just cons consistent. What, what is your view of rhinos and how you can get rid of them and whether or not you think that the American people will still vote Republican uh, for rhinos. Yeah, I trust the I trust the voters. Uh, I trust the American people. Um, I think that they they they've figured it out like they always do. Um, they're going to elect the right kind of Republicans. They're going to come here and fight for them, their family, do what they said they would do, stand up for America First principles. Um, you, you saw this begin to play out uh, last fall in Virginia, where we learned that the Department of Education. Uh, and had communicated with the school boards association prior to them sending the letter. And then we find out the Department of Justice does the memorandum that treats parents as domestic terrorists. And that issue, moms and dads standing up and pushing back on what was happening in their schools, is what put Glenn Youngkin in the governor's office in a blue state. So um, the, the the country gets it. They're not going to stand for the the you know re Republicans who aren't committed to the principles that make our country a special place. And again, you saw that um, last fall in, in Virginia. A few weeks after that, you saw – I think this is amazing too, Lou. You saw 12 brave jurors in Kenosha, Wisconsin, with the mob outside the courthouse. The mob outside say we're still going to do what's, what, what's, what's it, it, you know, it, consistent with the facts, the truth, and due process and, and, and reach the right decision here, and they did. So um, the country is figuring it out, and they have had it with – the crazy left and 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 Republicans who aren't acting like Republicans. Yeah, I I, I agree with you 100%. When you talked about America's figured it out, I believe voters have figured it out. Uh, the American public has figured it out, and I am yet to be convinced that the Republicans have figured it out. <laughs> the politicians, yeah. uh, the and, politicians and, in DC, we're all, I, they're always I, the I'm last. Really, <laughs> I'm really very serious about it. I I, I think no, that there's I hear a you. huge skepticism about. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, I, I think it rises to more than skepticism. Uh, there's yeah. great, great doubt about their leadership because really neither of them has done a, a damn thing. And uh, well, I, let me let me just say this regarding uh, Leader McCarthy. Um, and I, I think he's done a, a such a good job of keeping our team together compared to the, the leadership of uh, – or lack of leadership, I guess you could say, of uh, compared to you know the, the previous leaders of the Republican Party in, in the House of Representatives. You know, I always go back well, to I this. Agree with go that. back to the first, yeah, go back to the first impeachment, and remember the conventional wisdom was – the conventional wisdom was that, that, the, that every single Democrat was going to vote to impeach President Trump, and a bunch of Republicans were going to join him. But we went through that process, and uh, uh, under the leadership of, of, of Kevin McCarthy and our, and our team here in the, in the House, and what happened in the end, Lou, was every Republican voted against impeaching President Trump. Democrats joined us, and one Democrat switched parties. So th th that, that, that is, is so different. I, I guarantee that would – I don't think that would have happened under the previous leader. So um, yeah. you know, we, we got to stay focused on, on as you say – Standing up for the America First agenda of President Trump, 
doing what we said we did like President Trump did. And if the voters put us in control, if we stay focused on that, we're going to we're going to help frame things up for 2024 when I hope President Trump runs again. Well, you and me both and, and tens of millions of Americans as well. Uh, I, I, I hear you. You're you're supporting Kevin uh, McCarthy. And do you know something? Uh, I, you know, I, I just simply can't. Uh, but I'll tell you this much. I can get a lot closer if if Jim Jordan is for him and you tell me that Kevin McCarthy's for Jim Jordan uh, and the uh, Trump agenda, then I can get a long ways toward Absolutely. Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. You know why we, we need that? We need that to happen because that's what's good for the country. That would that would help the country if we could stay focused as a team, doing the America First agenda and framing up the 2024 race. So, so if let's say the, the people put us back in control, Lou, we're going to pass some good legislation. Joe Biden's going to veto it, or it's not going to get through the Senate, and and we're going to but we're going to help frame up the 2024 race when President Trump's going to run against Biden or Harris, whoever the Democrats decide to put up. I think that's going to help bring the country together, help turn out even more voters for President Trump than, than, he, than he got in the last race and, and put him in the White House. That's what we need to do in order to help change things and move things back in the right direction for our country. Uh, well, that's, that's good to hear. I, I, my problem is the eight months we've got here before we get to uh, uh, a little over seven months, I haven't seen any action taken by the RNC or the Republican Party uh, nationally to secure the election, to roll back mail-in ballots, to stop the national emergency, to go after this president uh, because it's for the sake of the country. I mean, we just watched the president commit five, five mistakes and and misstatements no. uh, on this trip to, to Europe. Yeah, he has perhaps still escalated the war, the Russian war against Ukraine with his mouth. Uh, his mind yeah. is not there. He is impaired. Why in the world are the Republicans as a body demanding this man do as Donald Trump did when the Democrats asked him to take a cognitive test? He's been asked yeah. twice, rejected <laughs> it twice. Why not? Why is not the Republican yeah. Party demanding it? Well, Ronnie Jackson, uh, a colleague well, of Ronnie Jackson good, is, good he sure. Ronnie is. Oh, he's got the bill. He's got the bill out there to do. No, I, I heard former Speaker Gingrich on, uh, on, on an interview uh, this, this past week, and, and he, he said, you know, like, he said basically the same thing. And he said, but, but also, you know, think about it. Uh, he said what look, I look said? At the vice president. Yeah, well, he said something <laughs> to the same effect. He said, you know, look, look this is it. This is everyone sees what we see, but they also see the vice president. When, when, you know, when she went to Poland a week or so ago and the things she said, I mean, she's like, I think, I think Speaker Gingrich said she should never, they should never let her leave the country again. I think it was something to that effect. And I'm like, wow, that's an amazing statement from, from, from former Speaker Gingrich, who, as, as you know, is a sharp guy. So, um, yeah, the country sees it, the world sees it, and what a contrast between the leadership and the strength and the toughness, frankly, that was projected from the Oval Office under President Trump. Uh, and, and over to Secretary of State's office under Mike Pompeo, what a contrast we see between that and, and what we now have with um, with Biden, Harris, and, and Blinken. Um, you, you, I mean, you, you can't, you couldn't have a sharper contrast. The people see that, the country does, and I think again, that's gonna what's gonna weigh on their 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 decision, uh, and why I think we have a good chance of being in the majority. So what you're saying is, uh, and what Newt said was then. We're not going to do anything until there's election, and meanwhile, we'll just hold our breath, uh, sit on our hands, and pray like hell. Well, I don't think we could get. I don't think we could get anything. Uh, you know, obviously through either the House or Senate and a bill, uh, we can continue to call for it, uh, which I think that you know the common sense folks of the of, of this great country well, understand my, I'm, it. But I'm not asking for an impeachment. I'm not asking for the yeah. 25th Amendment. I am asking Jesus. for a cognitive test so the American people are either right. no, assured that he is competent or we understand what everyone as adults are dealing with. This is not a nation of children. Yeah. Uh, we're we're yeah. big time all American citizens, and we well need said. to know what the well hell said. is going on. No, I think I think I think that 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 makes so much sense. And again, it's why I think 
uh, our good friend and colleague, uh, Congressman Jackson, has actually introduced legislation and now talking about this issue as well as should. All right. Uh, on that positive note and uplifting note, Congressman, I know that you're pressed for time as always, <laughs> uh, and I appreciate you being with us. Uh, thanks ah, so much. Always Congress. enjoy it. Always enjoy yeah. it. Keep up the great work, Lou. Thanks so much. Take care, brother. You too, Congressman. Thank you. Congressman Jim Jordan, great American. And now we turn to Russia's senior partner in the China-Russia Strategic Alliance. China President Xi Jinping is fully backing Putin and Russia. And without that backing, Russia would be under even greater economic pressure. With China's backing, Putin can continue his war on Ukraine, which has proved to be far more difficult than I'm sure he ever imagined. Interestingly, Xi is encountering challenges of his own at home, the COVID virus stubbornly reappearing at a major outbreak in another major city. Xi forced to lock down one of China's largest and most important cities, Shanghai. 25 million people live and work there, a major commercial and financial center, as Xi is now more than two years after the deadly virus was unleashed on an unsuspecting world, again contending with a massive outbreak of the virus, while Vladimir Putin is struggling with the war he started 33 days ago. Joining us now is Asian expert, attorney, author most recently of the great U.S.-China tech war, Gordon Chang. Gordon is also columnist for Newsweek and regular co-host and guest on the John Bachelor Show. And Gordon, uh, first of all, it's great to have you back on the show here. Uh, China seems to be wanting to play a very important central part in the Ukraine crisis. What is the motivation there? I believe that Beijing, um, which was really surprised by the turn of events in Ukraine, by the heroic resistance of the Ukrainian people, now is trying to distance itself from Russia. But we shouldn't be fooled, Lou, because China is still backing Russia where it counts. It's still buying wheat, oil, gas, coal. It is uh, providing Russia a refuge uh, in its SIPs. Um, which is its swift alternative. It is uh, just basically um, giving Vladimir Putin the money to continue this war against Ukraine. So although we hear statements from Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, from um, Wang Yi, the foreign minister, and from others about how you know all of this is terrible, um, we shouldn't believe any of it. That's just uh, disinformation. Disinformation, and uh, again, China, she himself calling for maximum restraint, as he put it, in Ukraine. And I didn't have the feeling he was speaking directly to Vladimir Putin. Uh, did you? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think he was referring to um, Western countries, to the United States, to France and Germany in particular, about not providing lethal aid to Ukraine. Matter of fact, not even providing humanitarian aid to the Ukrainian people. Um, you know, it's difficult sometimes to decipher what Beijing is saying, but you have to watch what they're doing. And the important thing here um, is that the announcement of the $117.5 billion in new oil and gas deals on February 4th, a week after that, there was the announcement of the sale of 100 million metric tons of Russian coal to China. China then lifted uh, restrictions on the importation of Russian wheat. This couldn't be any clearer. Um, Beijing is financing Russia's military operations in Eastern Europe. They're financing those uh, those operations, and they are based on everything that we have seen in the reporting of the of the deal they have. They are full on strategic partners. Uh, these two uh, communist uh, parties and and powers, that is China and Russia, are they not? You're absolutely right about that. I mean, they've got uh, decades of cooperation where they coordinate their foreign policies, where their militaries drill together. Um, but this was symbolized in the 5,000-word joint statement that China and Russia issued on February 4th, which was just after the meeting between Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping, a meeting that lasted more than two and a half hours. And I believe it was at that meeting that the Chinese greenlighted the invasion of Ukraine because it was only four days after the Olympics that Russian armor crossed the Ukrainian border. And that Russian, that Russian armor now is, for the most part, it seems, uh, deployed uh, across Ukraine in various cities, uh, but also 
part of what is a stalled offensive uh, that one would have been expected to have moved much quicker uh, to be even more deadly than it's been, actually, and far more successful. What is going on with the Russian military? Uh, your thoughts? The Russian military certainly has um, surprised even Western intelligence agencies in its failure to move effectively against a lightly armed resistance. There are a lot of reasons for that, um, including basically faulty Chinese parts for their tanks. Um, but the thing here, Lou, to look at, step back at a moment, um, China um, has called for mediation uh, to end the fighting. And it's no coincidence that China only called for mediation after it was clear that the Russian advance had stalled. What they're trying to do is to give Putin a way to consolidate his gains. Because if there is no mediation, um, I believe that uh, the Ukraine will actually push Russia out of their country. And that's the last thing that China wants to see. It needs to have Putin to be successful because this is a partnership between Moscow and Beijing. And if one of the partners fails, it calls into question the effectiveness of the other partner, of course, in this case, China. And China, it may be that she has now made a mistake of huge proportions in partnering with Vladimir Putin. And Russia is now the one who looks like, certainly in the relationship vis-a-vis -vis China, to be seriously the junior partner. Yes, and um, Russia is going to become even more junior uh, if events fold out, uh, <clears throat> unfold as we think. You know, part of it is because uh, as um, the West has disconnected Russia from the dollar accounts, from the SWIFT uh, system, mm -hmm. uh, basically Russia is moving into the renminbi system of China, moving into SIPS, which is the cross-border interbank payment system, which is China's SWIFT alternative. Um, there's more and more um, commodity deals that are being conducted in renminbi, the Chinese currency. So we're, we're seeing Beijing basically make Russia um, an economic colony. And if all of this weren't clear enough, uh, there are now reported talks for China to take big states in Gazprom and Rusal, um, the energy and the aluminum companies. Um, so this is, this is really stunning to watch Russia um, become a part of... Uh, a Chinese economic sphere. To become a part of it, and again, uh, with every prospect of becoming the senior partner uh, as well as participant, because their currency, their, uh, their hard reserves, China is a behemoth by comparison to Russia uh, in, in every way, uh, in uh, purchasing parity, in terms of assets, in terms of size of economy, uh, across the board, whether nominal or purchasing power. This is a peculiar partnership in that respect. What do you think the real purpose of that partnership is? I, I believe that China has used Russia all along as um, essentially the proxy. Um, Russia under Putin has very much been willing to take on the West in, in ways that are very clear, unmistakable. And that's allowed China to advance its goals pretty much under the radar. There was something similar. Um, when you go back to 9-11, uh, um, just before that, the administration of George W. Bush was thinking of moving against China. But after 9-11, uh, China became an ally uh, in the uh, effort to, um, to end uh, Osama bin Laden's life. S something similar is occurring here because you're hearing uh, people in the American policy establishment start to talk about, well, we need China's help to constrain Russia. So there's this same sort of replaying of, of themes. It, it didn't work with regard to al-Qaeda. It certainly didn't work with regard to North Korea, where George W. wanted to have the Chinese uh, disarm their best friends, the North Koreans. And it's not going to work now, Lou. Um, I mean, the Chinese have been, will continue to do this because they get away with it. And they get away with it because of the naivete of American policymakers. This is just sort of like Groundhog Day. It is Groundhog Day in, in lots of ways. Uh, it is in the repetition of it all as uh, you know, history that doesn't repeat often rhymes. But in this instance, Xi Jinping 
looks to be playing Putin, if you will, uh, for a dupe. Uh, if one thinks about, it was two years ago that Xi Jinping unleashed a deadly virus on the world when he could have given warning, when he could have stopped it uh, and chose not to. And now uh, in this country, almost a million dead without any response. And now two years after the, uh, the Wuhan virus, we now are watching Putin destabilizing what at least is Eastern Europe uh, and, and certainly the Ukrainian crisis has the potential to involve all of Europe and perhaps more. Uh, it looks all to be a piece of a part, doesn't it? It was, certainly does. Um, you know, as Putin moves against Ukraine uh, and tries to reconstitute the Soviet empire, as he tries to reconstitute the Russian empire, which is even broader than that, um, China is uh, going to, I think, uh, be even more provocative against, of course, Taiwan, but also India, where China is building up its forces, opposing uh, India and Ladakh, high in the Himalayas. But it could also be against Japan, the Philippines, Bhutan, Nepal, uh, all across China's southern and eastern peripheries. It's moving against neighbors. And so, therefore, we could see conflict on both ends of the Eurasian landmass. Um, these two countries have, uh, Russia and China have proxies, North Korea, Iran, Pakistan, even Algeria, um, where there could be problems right. in the near future. And, and, and the South China Sea, of course. What, what is, in your judgment, Xi's plan and purpose here? Because he is without question ambitious, he's ex uh, expansionary in his policies, all of them. Uh, in every direction, all, every direction that's available to him uh, in China. Where does this lead? Because uh, Ukraine is not going well, and his junior partner is in, uh, appears to be in significant trouble. Well, a couple things. Um, with regard to your first question about um, Xi Jinping's plans, um, he's made it very clear in his pronouncements over the course of three decades that he believes that he is the world's only legitimate ruler. Um, he's pushing the notion of Tianxia, or all under heaven. This is the idea that Chinese rulers had the mandate of heaven over Tianxia, and that not only did they have the right to rule all under heaven, but that heaven compelled them to do so. And this is, you know, there have been a number of figures in history who believe that they should rule the world, but Xi Jinping is the first to believe he should rule planet Earth plus the near parts of the solar system, because we've heard these Chinese officials talk about the moon and Mars as sovereign Chinese territory. You know, with regard to where things are going with Ukraine, which is your second question, um, God only knows. Um, but the problem here is that Vladimir Putin knows that if he fails, he's probably going to lose power and maybe lose his life, which means that he could use his weapons of mass destruction in Ukraine, um, his chemical weapons or nuclear weapons. Um, he's threatened to do so. Uh, so um, we've got to be concerned that the worst scenarios will actually play out. Let me ask you, uh, you talked about the moon, the stars. Uh, sometimes more proximate is, uh, is more expedient. And right next door to Russia is this little country called China. Why not, if you're Xi Jinping, play Putin for a dupe and a fool let him uh, hemorrhage and then move against him and establish uh, an empire that has never, you know, that hasn't been brought together for uh, 5,000 years if we're going to start reconstituting uh, empires. Yeah, this is not a theoretical concern because um, Chinese policymakers plus the Chinese, um, you know, academic community always talk about how the Russian Far East, which includes Vladivostok, um, was lost to the czars. Now, this is a false narrative, but this is what the Chinese believe, that those treaties in the 1860s, which ceded uh, Qing dynasty land to the czars, really uh, were unequal, and therefore China should get them back, which means that uh, a good portion of the Russian Far East, in the views of Beijing, should be China's. Now, um, that's bad history, um, and we probably don't have time enough to go into why it's bad history. But the point is, 
not whether it's good or bad history, but it's the point that this is what Chinese leaders say and what they believe. And that means Vladimir Putin um, is at risk of losing a good portion of his country to China. And we hear no one speak of that. Uh, we hear no, no one uh, concerned about that, I guess, because it would be sort of intramural, if you will, uh, amongst uh, communist and former communist nations. I don't know how you would describe uh, properly either country, really. Uh, China is certainly communist, but both uh, tyrannies, uh, both leaders despots. So give us, give us your sense of where, where Ukraine leads us and what is China's real motivation is here and how significant is it uh, as opposed to the, the world's focus on Vladimir Putin? China wants Putin to succeed um, because that then uh, roils the world. Um, the, the longer term effects of Ukraine, regardless of who wins or who loses there. And I, I think the Ukrainian people will eventually win, although it may not be in the short term. But the long-term effects will be deglobalization. Um, in other words, um, countries are going to be trading with each other less. They're going to be uh, certainly more focused at home. We're already starting to see this. The February trade numbers show um, shocking declines in trade around the world. And remember, the invasion only started February 24th. Um, so uh, this will continue. This means but still um, still record still record trade deficits for the United States. Still record trade deficits for the United States, which um, another issue. But we have these global supply chains which stretch halfway around the world. Many of them starting in China. These are not viable in the new environment post Ukraine, and that means Lou that the United States and other countries uh, are going to start to locate manufacturing closer to home if not within their borders. Um, this is something that we need to do. We cannot continue to enrich an enemy, China, um, with our trade and with our investment. Um, if we have these global supply lockups in the twin ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. That's completely unnecessary. We should be making critical goods and most of our goods inside the United States. I think that will be one of the long-term effects of Ukraine, this deglobalization deglobalization and the united states now dependent however on globalization for its uh, some of its most strategic needs a including first of all let's, let's talk about pharmaceuticals 95 percent of uh, of our pharmaceuticals and pharmaceutical ingredients come from china uh, and uh, to a degree uh, india what are we yes. to do and Rosemary Gibson um, wrote that fabulous book, China RX, which details our vulnerabilities to Chinese manufacturing of pharmaceuticals and active pharmaceutical ingredients. Um, Americans have died because of um, 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 polluted uh, heparin, for instance, made in China. Um, so this is, this is not a theoretical concern for us. And China actually has threatened to cut off the supply of pharmaceuticals to the U.S., in order to obtain its uh, unrelated geopolitical goals. So um, this, is, this is something which we've known about for a long time. President Trump tried to bring back some of this API manufacturing into the United States with his Eastman Kodak deal. This is more of what we have to do in the future. And of course, it's not just pharmaceuticals. We're talking semiconductors, um, personal protective equipment, rare earths, you name it. We need to bring it back here. Uh, we need to, uh, but in some cases, such as you mentioned rare earth, uh, China happens to have the largest repositories uh, of, uh, of rare earths and manufacturing uh, products uh, utilizing rare earths, uh, and that includes the most advanced uh, electronics uh, and computers, uh, as semiconductors, you name it. Uh, it. It's a tremendous strategic advantage. And they will then also, as a result of our having that rapid departure from Afghanistan, uh, will have access to all of those rare earths that are uh, deposits uh, in Afghanistan. The list goes on, and everywhere you look, people are focused now, of course, on Russia and Ukraine, and properly so. But the reality is, is China is on the move, are they not? Well, they certainly are. Um, and, and they are for a number of reasons, both because they feel they're strong and because they feel insecure. 
But whatever the reason is, it's a dangerous political system right now, especially because Xi Jinping, the ruler, I believe, for various internal reasons, has a low threshold of risk. It's, it's like Vladimir Putin also has a low threshold. Now, Xi's reasons for the low threshold are different, but nonetheless, it makes both of them dangerous. So we have these two large tyrannies um, on the march at the same time. Well, let's, and let's go back to, to the world's greatest democracy, the United States, led by something called Democrats. But in point of fact, these are two of the most uh, incompetent, inept people I've ever seen in American government anywhere. And they sit atop the United States down. I'm talking about the President Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris. And they have decided that this is a unique and wonderful, uh, even welcome opportunity to talk about buy, Americans buying more electric cars uh, as they ban Russian oil. It, it's, it is, tell me what in the world we're to do, given all that's happening geopolitically with the leadership like this. We have an election this November. Um, it's absolutely essential that um, we change um, the view in Congress, both in the House and the Senate. And of course, in November 2024, um, there's a presidential election. President under our system has um, vast powers over foreign policy. And um, as you point out, Biden's foreign policy vision has ended up in disaster. Remember how the United States is um, so much more powerful than Russia. Just by ourselves, Lou, um, our economy is something like 13 and a half times larger than Russia's. Right. The 27 economies of the European Union are 10.1 times the size of Russia's. Britain's economy, now out of the EU, is twice the size of Russia's. But despite this disparity in power, um, there was the greatest failure of deterrence in our lifetimes. Um, Russia decided to invade Ukraine anyway. It was because of the failure to wield American power effectively that we are now in um, a crisis. And this crisis can go in many different directions, some of them the worst outcomes possible. So uh, obviously, uh, Biden's vision for the future just doesn't work. If I may, I can go back to one day, June 10, 2021. Biden goes to Europe for the first time. He lands at RAF Mindenhall. He addresses U.S. troops. And he has this, this free-flowing conversation. And during that, he says to the troops, Guess what? What do you think is the world's number one uh, national security threat? And then Biden says, my generals and admirals tell me it's climate change. Yeah. Well, whatever one thinks of climate change, um, it is not the number one national security threat. And on February 24th of this year, we learned that it certainly isn't as Russian armor did invade Ukraine. Yeah, I... I would say that I would put right now, for the first time in my lifetime, certainly, uh, I believe that we, we face more enemies with greater power over our future within than we do without. That is to say, China is, in my opinion, our number one uh, enemy in, on the globe. Uh, but I think first we have so many threats within our own borders that it is, it is just mystifying how people can ignore that reality, whether it be the incompetence of leadership, whether it be the, the, the shallowness of their philosophy, their thinking, their limited mental, uh, intellectual capacity to deal with a, a world that is massively complex and rapidly changing. Uh, your thoughts? I couldn't agree with you more, Lou. Um, we have had a failure of American leadership. We have um, uh, Americans who have these incredibly misguided notions about the United States. We have teachers at all levels, uh, secondary schools and universities, teaching hatred of America. This yeah. is a mortal threat to us. Um, and of course, we have China and Russia and their proxies uh, working against us. And as you pointed out earlier, um, they're not uh, hesitant about uh, killing Americans. Um, we have uh, 960,000 Americans who have perished from COVID-19, um, according to Johns Hopkins. 
And this was because Xi Jinping uh, deliberately spread this disease beyond his borders. He lied about contagiousness. He pressured other countries to take arrivals from China while he was locking down his own country. Now, I know lockdowns are controversial, but by locking down his own country, he was telling the world he thought they were effective in stopping disease. So you put these two acts together, and there are more of them, but you put these just these two acts together, it means that every death outside of China, now there are more than 6 million of them, every death outside China is a murder. And that includes almost a million Americans. And again, without anyone being held to account, without reprisal, without in any way uh, making it right. Uh, I, I've never seen a time either uh, in, in American history where we have done so little, uh, have been so apathetic, so passive, uh, and I, it's, it's just deeply, deeply troubling to think that this country has permitted uh, so many, so many uh, vulnerabilities to, to, to widen rather than to fix them. Uh, I, I've got to turn back to our discussion here on uh, strategic vulnerabilities. And, and one of them is, again, uh, Biden, Harris, uh, I'll go on, Tony Blinken, uh, Jake Sullivan, the entire top apparatus of our national security uh, group. Uh, under this president it is so suspect, so weak, so limited. And they are talking to Venezuela. They are talking about going to Iran and uh, begging for their oil, the Saudis as well. Why not just simply, simply build that Keystone pipeline? I know it'll take a little time, but why not buy the Canadian oil that is available rather than going off hat in hand to Venezuelan uh, dictators, uh, uh, Iranian ayatollahs. Why, what are we doing? What is the rationale as you see it for this administration? It's a big mystery to me, Lou, because I don't see any rationale for the uh, Biden administration's policies. We, we've seen that they fail. And you know, Lou, Yes, you're right. Um, the Keystone Pipeline will take a year to actually complete if uh, Biden would greenlight it. But if Biden would greenlight it and he would tell the markets that, that would immediately result in a drop in the price of oil um, because that's we, the way the markets work. We saw it in 2005 when George W. Bush had the sense to open up uh, uh, offshore drilling. And the markets immediately reacted, and oil went from a uh, top, I believe it was about $147, $150, uh, and immediately the markets corrected and uh, sought a much lower equilibrium uh, return to rational pricing. Uh, we know the same, as you say, would happen. And, and the reason why this is important, among others, is that um, Putin's um, revenue is, is oil and gas. And the drop in an immediate drop in hydrocarbon prices means that he has far fewer dollars to keep uh, his tanks running and, and all the rest of it. So this would, um, if not cripple the war effort, would severely undermine it. And if we were to do other things at the same time, um, we might be able to um, stop his advances on Ukraine. But the point is, this is within the power of the president of the United States. All he needs to do is get in back of the resolute desk bring the cameras into the Oval Office, say, I'm, um, I'm greenlighting a Keystone Pipeline, I'm opening up leases, I'm doing all the rest of this because we need to drop the price of oil, need to drop the price of gasoline. And we would see an immediate effect. Matter of fact, you know, just uh, today, when the uh, UAE announced that they were increasing production, the price of oil dropped $10. Right, immediately. And Immediately. And what do you make of uh, the Emirates, Saudi Arabia, uh, their leaders not even taking President Biden's telephone calls. In, again, in my lifetime, I have never known of an instance, a single instance, in which any foreign leader refused the call of an American president. And Biden was told uh, they're not available. Uh, this, what do you make of that? Again, I mean, I, I, 
I can't believe the um, failure in American diplomacy, the failure to talk to countries and have them talk to us. But, you know, considering what Biden has been doing in the Middle East, um, I'm not surprised that the Saudis have brushed off Biden. Remember, um, President Trump, historic uh, gains in the Middle East with the um, Abraham Accords. He did things that nobody thought were possible. I didn't think they were possible. And yet the Abraham Accords brought stability and peace to the region. And it also meant that the United States was far less dependent on hydrocarbons from the Middle East. And really what this means is that uh, Saudi Arabia now has moved very much into China's orbit. And when the Saudi officials don't take a call from the president of the United States, it means that there has been a horrible um, diminution in America's prestige and standing in an important part of the world. And there are only three powers and two of them benefit. Uh, if one uh, is disadvantaged and we are the ones being disadvantaged by the shallowest, uh, weakest leadership uh, that I have ever seen. I think perhaps in our entire history, we've never seen two leaders atop our government uh, as weak, as incapable, and unfit for office as President Biden and Vice President Harris. Uh, you get the last word here uh, on, on where we stand in the world and what Americans should be thinking about. This is a critical point in history, the most critical point we've had since uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962 and the Checkpoint Charlie crisis a little bit earlier. Uh, events are happening so quick that they're faster than our ability to understand them. And that means the assumptions that we make about the way the world works um, are often obsolete now. And because they're obsolete, we don't comprehend the danger. We need uh, effective American leadership. And Lou, now more than ever, the American people need you. Well, that's very kind of you, Gordon. Uh, we appreciate always your insight, your thought, your philosophy, your perspective, and your values. Uh, you're a great American, and we appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Gordon Chang. Our guest tomorrow is author Rebecca Koppler. I can't wait to talk with her. Please join us here tomorrow. We want to invite you to sign up for our Great America Show Advisory and Newsletter. Simply go to LouDobbs.com. That's LouDobbs.com and click on the email newsletter button. It's as simple as that. And we'll send you our advisories and alerts as well as our weekly newsletter. I don't want to overstate anything, but I'm pretty sure you will absolutely sense at least a small positive change in your world outlook. We invite you to join us and stay in touch. Thank you, that's ludobs.com. Thanks, God bless you, and God bless America.